I have to I have to really want to bring them back in front of my eyes. The rest of the time they they sleep in my mind and I forget. And so will you. Oh yes, you will. You'll find there's so much else to think about, to remember. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing, because nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on Journalist, we talk about the Ice Tombs of Telos. <coughs> I'm sorry, Tomb of the Cybermen. I always get so excited when I hear that music, and yet my excitement is quelled instantly from the racism of this episode. (laughs) Remember how last episode we said we're going to keep hammering on this point? We still kind of need to hammer on this point a bit. (laughs) It's like it keeps renew, like it's in a constant state of renewal every time for every doctor. Renewal. Renewal. But. Do we want to start at the top hot? Do we want to start at the top fun? That is a question. I, I say let's get it out of the way. Let's, let's talk about the serious stuff. Get it out of the way. Let people decide All if right. they want to keep listening after that. It is. The reason I'm coming in hot for this one is not only the Toberman character for the episode, but also the actress in Brownface, the representation of foreigners, the greek villain actor who is portraying a middle eastern character without saying it but winking heavily at it it is all there from the jump on screen every scene from start to finish Mm -hmm. i was reading an interview uh about um uh some people's reactions to this and uh, apparently um in fan circles uh uh the the generically middle eastern uh, ethnicity is kind of referred to as shifty stand because oh. it's the kind of uh, uh we don't know where you're from exactly but it's from somewhere that we distrust <laughs> i'm like that's that's this episode yep <laughs> and the toberman character is nearly every black male racial stereotype rolled in all at once mm-hmm. um overly strong not intelligent um, an enslaved person, and it is painful to watch. And to go so far, even at the very end of it, it falls into the the mystical black man trope by giving him superhuman willpower to resist the effects of the cyber conversion to then sacrifice himself for all the heroic white characters to escape. Mm-hmm. It hits every single trope by the numbers. It could have written the book about tropes and handed it out to other people. And additionally, in some of the initial scripts for the episode, the character was supposed to have had a hearing aid and may have had some sort of hearing issues, but they they cut that because before this episode, there was another one where they had a strong, um, Middle Eastern character who couldn't speak, who was actually played by another big, strong black man, mm-hmm. f- fulfilling a very similar role as Toberman here. Yeah, yeah. There is a 
deeply unfortunate trends in Western media, but particularly in British media, of mute black strongmen. And it is very it is, a, it is a, a disturbing and unfortunate trend, specifically through 60s Doctor Who. It is something that we'll probably touch on throughout the course of this this episode, but it is so in your face that you have we have to talk about it at the top. That's right. why I started with a joke about it. I asked Eddie what he felt comfortable doing because we're going to come back to it regardless of what happens. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I think at this point in the podcast, if I said, no, Chris, I'm uncomfortable talking about racism in media, this, this show's over. <laughs> we have we, crossed that Rubicon way too far in the past, you know? All right. I've said that piece now. I'm going to shift focus somewhat to the impressive feat of transitioning from one doctor, William Hartnell, to another doctor, Patrick Troughton. Because yep. in the time that was unheard of. They may have done mm-hmm. things like recast an actor that looks similar to the lead of a show and tried to like yep. carry on like that, but it is not done so much so that you say, this is our other character. This is the same character that is completely different. Yeah. Not only monumental feet look, but also in personality. Yeah. And we give a lot of credit to William Hartnell for helping the creation of the show. But most of the credit, in my opinion, goes to Patrick Troughton. Yes. Because right now is a point where the show could have just ended and been done. Mm-hmm. If Troughton had been able to pick up that torch from Hartnell and run with it so there would be other incarnations and make this an established point in the very loose Doctor Who canon. It's it's very very, very wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Um, but like I mentioned last episode, I mean... Um, I mentioned this is the serial that Matt Smith watched when he tried to figure out his portrayal of the doctor. Um, but to a larger extent, all doctors going forward, we, it makes, it would it'd be nice to say that they're all riffing off of Hartnell, but really they're all riffing off of Troughton. Troughton sets the mold for what we understand the doctor as a character is. Hartnell was very important, very influential, but he only started to get some of the pieces. Troughton is the first example of the doctor as we understand it today. So he is iconic. And also weirdly such a strange casting choice because you have to understand at this point in time, Trotton primarily played villains. Um, he was not, not only was he not a leading man, he was not a heroic character. He played a lot of villain characters at the time. I'm going to have to push back on that one, buddy. Oh really? What, what did he play That's before this? I, I think before this, because all right, let's, let's take a step back take a minute to talk about Patrick Trotton. Okay. Uh, Patrick Troughton is a war hero, which I thought was really yes. pretty awesome because he fought in World War II uh, aboard ships and has like a Medal of Honor and all those other things. But going a little bit further back, uh, Patrick Troughton always liked acting. And one of the things that stood out to me is that he won a scholarship to leave the UK to come to the US to attend an acting academy there. And that's when World War II broke out. And that's when he left his scholarship to go back to the UK to serve in the war. Like, that is huge. I am I am in awe of that. And I, I love yeah. that bit of history about Troughton. I didn't know. Absolutely. Completely agree. And, but to my other point about him only playing villains, Troughton's also the first on-screen version of Robin Hood. Robin oh. of Luxley. Oh, you're right. Troughton. My apologies. My apologies. I was thinking and primarily Robin of his is 60s not a villain, career. my friend. 
Well, I mean, only, he's, only he's to a rich capitalists. He's a criminal <laughs> who does good. Um, but no, you're right. I, mean, I, I was thinking more of his kind of early 60s career prior to this because um, he was a villain at least a couple times on Danger Man. Um, he was a villain in The Avengers. Um, uh, one other show that I'm blanking on. Uh, but I mean, so he, he was very much kind of the the guy you come in, you want to play a character part. And, and so it's still uh, a little unusual, but you're right. The, the Robin Hood thing is probably the, the stronger reason why he was being considered. And when they were looking for an actor to replace, to replace Hartnell, when they came to Troughton, Hartnell himself said there was only one man in all the UK that could replace me. And that was Patrick Troughton. Mm -hmm. So in of itself, that is huge accolades from the actor that's leaving for the replacement to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have other Hart Troughton bits that you wanted to put out before we uh, continue the on? Thing I wanted to mention um, uh, uh, how he's, perceived in the uk um is that uh, uh there's a thing called a blue plaque that uh, the uk has where um places can uh commemorate people who have died who have make uh significant contributions to uh british uh, life culture or history uh and there are only three doctor who actors who have a blue plaque right now uh, the first one um uh wait 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 doctor... wait Go ahead. let me guess let me guess, because okay. I have no idea what the blue plaque is. This okay. is just from my Americanized knowledge of Doctor Who. Now, I already know one of the three, Troughton. Ha ha. Look at that. Oh, right. Yes, obviously. I'm a third of the way there. Uh, Baker. No. What? Partially because he's not dead yet. Oh, you got to be dead. Oh, you didn't tell me that. That's that's an un... Oh. I, I, yeah, so, I mean, that does kind of limit your choices pretty significantly, I'm, too. Exactly I'm going to say Pertwee, then. Yes, Pertwee was the first one to get one. Mm, you got to be dead. Would they count Peter Cushing as Doctor Who? Peter Cushing did get one, but he is not—he's not on the plaque commemorative for his role as Doctor Who. Look at that! That is look that there right there is my bona fides. I've got three Doctors with one big wrong because technically Peter <laughs> Cushing was Doctor Who. And he's there, so was, I've got my three. For my yeah. bonus, I am going to go with. Who's oh, dead? It's going to be something that I'm not expecting. It's too easy to hit. It's hard now. But I feel like it's Hartnell. But I'm Hartnell. going to do what? It is Hartnell. I was going to do the opposite, though, and go with John Hurt. Anyway, so there you yeah. go. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I, actually, John, John, John Hurt's got his plaque yet. Um, uh, but yeah, so so it was it was actually Pertwee first. Um, then Hartnell got his. Uh, Patrick Hartnell got his March of this year. Jesus. Uh, apparently, they've been trying for 20 years to get a plaque for him. Uh, but he got it at his old school. Um, and the theater of the school has actually now been officially renamed the Patrick Trotton Theater. Um, so uh, he has made a strong contribution to British culture that is only now kind of being recognized on a, a more historical level. Uh, so that's one of the things that's really fascinating to me about Trotton is that objectively, if you look at his work, he's an icon. And yet from a historical standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, it seems to go kind of Hartnell, Skip, and then you hit the, the Pertwee, who was the next big kind of huge influence on Doctor Who in, in British culture, at least. Um, so Troughton's kind of only has been overlooked for a lot of both during his career, after his career, and until recently, which is a shame because Troughton's very much the Doctor that other actors always loud. A lot of the Doctor Who actors regularly cite Troughton, but he's not been 
a popular pick. And going back and watching these, I mean, the racism isn't Patrick Troughton's fault, as far as we know. Um, it, it's largely just the production. So, I mean, like, uh, I, I don't want to, I can see why you maybe people want to go back and watch these for some of those reasons, but actually watching Troughton on, on screen, he is a fantastic, fantastic actor. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I do want to mention, since you mentioned that, is one of my top five favorite authors, Troughton, is their favorite doctor. Uh, mm. Every chance I get when they come to the D.C. area, uh, I've gone, I've seen them do speeches, I've gotten books signed, I've been that fan and made them take a picture with me, and they say, yes, I'll take a picture with you because <laughs> you're paying me to be here. <laughs> I won't look excited. Um, that was on my, my third time seeing them. The, the first time that they were nice enough to sign my copy of... Uh, American gods and they, they labeled me as times champion and they drew a little picture of a Dalek in it. And if you don't know who it is yet, I'm going to tell you in a second, I've been beating around the bush, but I think the name of the book should give it away. But uh, Neil Gaiman's favorite doctor is Patrick Troughton. Cause we had a, mm-hmm. we're going through the line and I asked him about his favorite doctor before he was talking to everyone about 30 seconds. I got him talking about Patrick Troughton. I was there for about five minutes, much of the chagrin <laughs> of everyone behind me. Nice. Nice. So if you ever meet Noel Gaiman, ask about Patrick Trout. You may get an extra minute or two of time talking to him. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind, actually. That's pretty great to hear. Um, so I want to talk about some of the ideas that Troughton had as a portrayal of the Doctor. Because when mm-hmm. they cast him, they wanted something different than what Hart, Hartnell had done. Right. And one of his ideas was a, a sea captain. Yep. Style for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um. The one I'm really going to focus in on, though, that he brought to bear, that he really pushed for, was to be in brown face and wear a turban yeah. for his portrayal of the mm-hmm. doctor. Mm-hmm. Do you know I was going to bring this up? I, as soon as you said his alternative takes, I was like, oh, that's right. I, it, it just swam to memory. It's like, oh, I remember that now. Yes. <laughs> and they pushed back against some of them, but they didn't like them in the end. But that's when someone decided that this version of the Doctor should be more like a sort of a Charlie Chaplin-esque character. And hence we get the Cosmic Hobo, which is utterly iconic and probably the reason Troughton's, one of the reasons Troughton's portrayal worked so well is it was mm-hmm. so different than Hartnell. Yeah. And it takes maybe a minute to warm up to him, but you can see like all that humor and stuff is more of a joke and the uh, brilliance underneath it is what always seems to shine through. Yeah, honestly, the idea of the funny doctor really does start here. Uh, uh, Hartnell has had some comedic moments, don't get me wrong. Hartnell was actually a pretty funny actor in his own right, um, but it was very much limited to uh, serials that were specifically designed to be funny. Um, Troughton is one of the more consistently funny doctors, so that idea really does kind of start here. And again, that elements other actors dial that in in different ways. Um, uh, but uh, some of that, frankly, is helped by the fact that he has uh, had, I'll say, a lot of good guest actors, but but particularly um, uh, uh, Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie McCrimmon. Uh, they had such an amazing chemistry. It really, really helps. One of the things, since you mentioned Fraser Hines, that they did back then was that the companions would be contracted for one serial. Mm-hmm. And then they would sort of be let them go. And for Tomb of the Cybermen, they actually signed Fraser Hines and I think her name is Deborah something, who the actress who plays Victoria, Waters? one week apart Watling. to continue on. 
as um, companions for the doctor. Mm-hmm. So like that was an interesting little tidbit that they didn't have them like there beforehand. They're like, oh, uh, sure. You two come back. Come on back. Right. Because I think Jamie was only meant to last for the Highlanders. And I think they really liked him. And so they, I, think, I, I believe they rewrote it Highlanders at the last minute to bring him on as a companion because of that chemistry. I think. we. I, I almost did the Highlanders, but. Good luck finding it. It was it was that I think we could have found it somewhere. I could have found it on the depths of YouTube. You've seen my YouTube abilities. <laughs> true, true, true. Uh, but now this is an iconic episode that was actually discovered. I want to say in a vault in Hong Kong in, in the nineties, early nineties, and sent to the UK because before mm-hmm. that it had been one of the lost episodes. Much mm-hmm. of Trouton's run is actually lost, except for yeah. the ones that were recovered and sent back to the uk and actually uh season five in particular right now um has been the season that has benefited the most from the recoveries um uh, most of season five was lost back in the seven by the time by the time 70s 80s when this started happening um and now i think nearly all of season five has been recovered so and a little bit is there anything else we want to talk about trout in production because i'm going to shift a little bit to the history of the cybermen uh no go ahead I love the Cybermen. They are my iconic Doctor Who villain. I know people are afraid of the dialects. They love the dialects. I think the dialects are ridiculous. Hands down. <laughs> from top to bottom. I don't care that you've got Nazis in pepper pots. They are a ridiculous concept. Utterly and completely. I said it. They, they were stymied by stairs until the seventh Doctor fucking ridiculous <laughs> the cybermen are fucking fantastic it, it some of this could becomes from my likely my horror roots and the horror more associated with the cybermen than it is for the dialects i got it dialects you got this little gelatinous blob person inside wheeling around in it like it's a tank for you on listening you can't see all my arm motions and my gelatinous right, dialect movements that eddie is laughing at <laughs> But the Cybermen, oh, the the idea I love. Eddie, I w- I'll pause for a second to let you comment on that litany of stuff I just said. Cybermen are rubbish. Um, oh, it's go time, motherfucker. Yeah, because well, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, the, there there is an X Y axis of Daleks and Cybermen that kind of occurs for the classic Doctor Who run, which is that Daleks start off written terribly, and generally get mostly better writing throughout the time. The Cybermen start off as a really fascinatingly horrifying concept and go downhill real fast. Um, uh, till we get to the 80 Cybermen, which are just basically video game villains you shoot. Um, and I feel like they're, even around Don Baker's era, no one's kind of treating them seriously. Uh, now, I feel like the modern era has redeemed them quite a bit and, and brought Ooh, some of the roots back. It depends on which part of the modern era you're talking about. Do you want me to talk about okay, the okay. delete, delete, okay, delete? So when they first came back of the, okay, the horror of them, be, people being converted to them, that's really scary. They do go downhill again, but I feel like they come back up around roughly the 12th Doctor era when they kind of bring back the really OG Cybermen and go, let's really dial in how these guys are scary again. Um, I, I think that it depends on the writer, frankly. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Cybermen are kind of 
I, I jokingly said they're rubbish. I think the problem is that the Daleks skate purely on nostalgia. So even a badly written Dalek, people still are willing to give it better credit because it's the Daleks. The Cybermen do not have that kind of cachet. cachet. And so when it's Jinx. really written badly, it, it's really obvious. Yes, but in the Mondasian Cybermen are the best Cybermen. And Capaldi liked the Mondasian ones, so that's why they are the ones that show up in his run. Yes, yes. And, and that is the scariest they've been, frankly, in 30 years by that point. And one of the things, though, about the Cybermen is that they came out of their very specifically time focused for like what was going on in that point in the 60s. And from a scientific, I think it was a medical scientist that they brought on as a scientific advisor is Peddler. Mm-hmm. And Peddler and I forgot their name are the co-creators Kit. of the Cybermen. Thank you. Kit Peddler. Are the co-creators of the Cybermen. And they mm-hmm. came from an idea of, so at this point in time, some of the, a important book that's likely a reference point for people is Valley of the Dolls was out and it dealt with people taking downers to sort of lose themselves in dealing with the horrors, the hardship of their own life. And so they were still human, but they sort of become hollowed out somewhat from the drugs. And Valley of the Dolls talks about the journey of these women struggling through what society is pressured on them. And they start taking um, depressants and downers. And that's what's like called Valley of the Dolls is a whole thing. If you haven't read the book, you should read the book. If you haven't seen the movie, you should go see the movie. Um, And so they took part of that concept for the Cybermen, but also at the time there were different sort of surgeries and other body parts. And they sort of elevated that into a more horror aspect coupled with the drug usage to create the idea of the Cybermen and people becoming less human, but still humanoid. Mm -hmm. And that's why when they first show up in the 10th planet, Mondas is the reverse version of Earth. So the Cybermen are technically aliens, but they are very human to show what humans could potentially do to themselves. Like that is layers and layers of complexity for a 60s sci-fi kids TV show to have that amount of horror. And then they have to undercut it with like the cheap budgets and everything else. And you can see the, right. the tape bits holding things on. But that concept is brilliant. And at Mondas, and even in the 80s, Mondas sort of comes back. And while the writing on them varies, if you have just the remotest affection for the idea, they stand as strong, if not better, than the Daleks, in my opinion. Because the Daleks' writing is all over the place. Oh, yeah, no. And, and I mean, I'm with you in the sense that the idea of them is consistently strong. The problem is that with the Daleks, the idea is ultimately they hate everybody. So even a badly written Dalek episode, you're still getting the idea reinforced, even if it's not very entertaining. Whereas the the Cyberman idea, if the writing isn't supporting it, then they just become off as generic baddies. So I feel like that's why they hinge on writing quality more, because otherwise you really need to sell the this is us on some level. And the Cybermen for me work better because they're the villain that they don't want to kill you if they don't have to. Right. And that in itself is more horrific because you don't get to die. Instead, you have more of a zombie-esque feel where now you've been chained, you've been co-opted into one of them to do this to other people. And it's like, now that you mention that, I wonder if maybe that's the reason why the Daleks have, are better written more consistently in the modern show because we have zombie movies to draw from. Whereas we, they didn't really have those as tropes. Yes, zombie movies existed while Doctor Who's in, but the, the idea of that genre, that genre of film, that being a genre of film, 
didn't really exist till like roughly the 80s or 90s. Um, so Doctor Who, now they go, oh, these are men are like zombies. We now have, we know how zombie movies are paced and structured. We can draw from that and people will have a stronger resonance. Whereas people didn't have that context with these series. Like, okay, so what are these? How do we write these? We didn't, they weren't entirely sure. Yeah. So that, that is, is my bit about the, uh, the Cybermen and I love them. So here's and my question one of the- for you, Cybermen fan. Which are better, the Cybermen of the Borg from Star Trek? As not being a a big Enterprise fan, um, <laughs> next generation fan, I'm going to say the Cybermen. Okay. <laughs> and for you, honestly, the same, uh, but mostly because the Borg are badly written. <laughs> I will say though, for my the Star Trek Enterprise um, next generation listeners out there, the cliffhanger ending where they, if you haven't seen it by now. Just you're fucked. You should get up with yeah. pop culture um, where they capture John Luke and convert him to a Borg. And that's yes. how they end that season because that writer had lost her job and they wanted to give a big fuck you to the next people coming. Love it. Wow. Every yeah, part no, of it. That, that was great. Um, but then once the box of it's easy to resist cyber conversion or sorry, not every version Borg uh, conversion. Um, once that box was opens, you, they just couldn't really go back. And so it's like being a Borg is kind of just having like a, a bad cough. Uh, and it just <laughs> doesn't really go anywhere. Whereas with Cybermen, occasionally people can resist it as we see in this episode, but it's extremely rare. Um, generally speaking, if you're converted, if you get cyber conversion, you're pretty much fucked. And the show's mostly kept to that. So cyber conversion still is scary as a concept. I'm trying to think of cyber converted people that have resisted. Because in this, we would say Toberman was partially converted. Right. True. No one, no one who's fully converted, I think, has ever resisted. People have been partially converted and resisted to it. Um, I will say there is that one Capaldi episode at the end where they do their thing. Right. I'm not going to give it away in case you haven't seen it because we will, may eventually yeah. get there. Right. That something like that happens. I am really right. upset at that episode, and I hate that episode because they squander, they poop on one of my favorite Doctor Who characters in that episode. Technically, they keep okay. on two of my favorite Doctor Who characters in that episode. Yeah, if it's one that you're thinking of, I can see why, and I would love to talk about that at some point in time because I have opinions about that. But anyway. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about that. We haven't right, we have re- regenerated to that point yet. Yeah, I will say, you mentioned this is a classic, and so we're still in Cyberman real quick. Um, uh, to be honest, like I said before, how Patrick Troughton is really the doctor that most people – uh, uh, think of and templates going forward. This is also a template of the Cybermen going forward, really. Like, it wasn't until Capaldi's era where people actually looked pre tomb of Cybermen to look at Cybermen interpretations. Uh, uh, so, the Cybermen you see here are going to be how people view Cybermen for decades to come. True. Um, and before, when they first showed up in the 10th planet, they also helped establish the a solid motif that doctor who frequently uses called the base under siege the cybermen mm-hmm. were the first person to introduce it to who and it became a staple of the show where you have someone in charge <clears throat> you have a very detailed set and you have an alien force of some kind attacking the people within it it cut down on budgetary constraints <laughs> it made it Add, get to add extra drama to it and you had the creatures constantly coming in so you didn't have to go from, run from quarry to quarry you were in one set location right um 
sadly, uh, Troughton gets, I think, a few too many of these stories um, because it's, while it's a cool story structure, when you have it three or four times in a season, it, it gets a little samey. Um, and Troughton ends up getting a lot of these because they were trying to, you know, uh, viewers' numbers were dipping slightly, and so they're trying to save money where they could. Uh, but in isolation, the story structure is just fine and, and works really, really well for what it's trying to do. In the episode also, I had, the, I had some other titles, one of which that I joked about the opening was The Ice Tombs of Telos, which in my opinion would have been a better title because it would have hidden the heart, the uh, heart of the Cyberman for like a little bit longer. Can we briefly take a digression and talk about this weird obsession Doctor Who has of putting things like something of the Daleks in the title and then acting like no one knows who the creature is for an entire episode when it's in the title? <laughs> Specifically for the Daleks, it's because something you've already said, people have an affection for them and that gets eyes to come and look at it. So then right, you get your viewership. But like, I mean, like, okay, the one we watched, Daleks aside, obviously that was there, but like, if you watch... Uh, uh, um, not, not Genesis of Daleks because that's actually really good. Um, what's a garbage Dalek serial? Uh, um, Remembrance of Daleks actually is not a bad one. What? What? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's it. It is it's good time on this podcast. It's not garbage, but the whole like you don't see a Dalek till the end of the first episode, and the characters don't entirely know Daleks are involved for like a good chunk of the episode. And so it's like it's, it's weirdly structured like it's a mystery that the Daleks are involved, even though it's in the title. Um, or uh, there's, I forget which one it's called, but it's, there's a Colin Baker one that's even worse, where like nobody mentions the dogs until the dog shows up as this cliffhanger for episode one. I'm like, but it's in the title of the dogs in the title. Tomb of Cybermen isn't as bad because Cyberman name gets dropped out halfway through the first episode, but still we don't see Cybermen until episode two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do like titles more like the Silver Nemesis that Alludes to what's going to be there. That if you know any who, it's like, oh, that's probably going to be Cyberman. Earthshock. It's so, another example. Yeah. Oh, you said Baker, Colin Baker. Were there any good Colin Baker episodes? Uh, yes. Given, if, if you allow me to stretch the word good really, really far. <laughs> do you want to talk about the twin dilemma? Is that what we want to go no. to? No, I do not want to talk about the twin dilemma. Because the, uh, I don't think I don't think emotional and physical abuse is a great topic to discuss. The the vengeance of Veros. Vengeance of Veros um, is actually not bad. Time lash. Time lash is has HGLs in it. So I can muster for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That so the I Colin mean, Baker period is going to be a little tough. We could relate it back to Trout and say the two doctors, and that even wasted Patrick Trouton. Well, I mean, this is the era where one of the biggest villains was sentient trees. So, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's got a lot going for it. Um, but, but you know what? That's not our problem. That's not, that's not a today problem. We have to worry about that for a while yet. All right. If we're done talking about other stuff, I can give a, a synopsis. It will not be a quick synopsis, but it'll be a synopsis. So we talked about this last week, but to kind of uh, make sure we're done still on the same page. Um, so we're approaching this kind of like with movies where you'll talk, you won't do the whole synopsis top to bottom but you'll do it and then we'll take a pause and talk about that chunk of it. Is that how we're planning to do it? Sure. Let's see how it works. As, okay. as always, we're evolving and debating how things work. Right. 
I, I had actually forgotten that. So next time I'll keep that in mind so I can do my notes differently. Okay. I may actually start breaking them down episode by episode just because I think it works better. I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe that might be a slightly better way of doing it. Uh, but then we get into weird things like with um, the next episode where it's just slightly longer than four episodes and, or like dollars of seven episodes. So I mean, some of these longer ones might be a bit of a challenge, but this is four episodes. So it would have been made more sense to kind of just do it for, but we're figuring it out because it, we, we could go the idea that we always break it down between three and four chunks. So even maybe. if it's like an eight episode arc, we can condense each of those down two episodes down into one smaller break point. That might be a good way that I'll have to restructure my notes too, but we're not there yet. But today that is neither here nor there because we did it how we did it. So yes, <laughs> the TARDIS lands in the planets tell us where a group of earth archaeologists are trying to uncover the fabled tomb of the Cybermen. Kaftan, oh, one of the expedition's financial supporters, offers $50 to the first person to open the door. A crewman excitedly runs forward under the yoke of capitalism mindset, grabbing a hole of the door to try to rip it open. It is electrocuted for their effort. The doctor helps him open the door, because that's what he does, into the very creepy tomb of the Cybermen. What I did leave out in my, my funny opening recap is that the doctor and Jamie and Victoria are aboard the TARDIS and we get the introduction of Victoria yep. who has lost her father for people who haven't seen the other episode and is joining the doctor offhand. And that is where my opening quote came from mm -hmm. because it is Victoria and the doctor having very close moments, almost like father daughter moments. And that is one of the, yeah. the trends that we see throughout Victoria's tenure on the show. Unfortunately, Victoria in a 60s show Badly is used. badly written, and the character is just kind of butchered going on from here. Oh, we yeah. get, I um, think, her coolest moment in this episode where she quick draws and kills a cyberbat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all downhill from here. Um, but also, we see remnants of the uh, ongoing serial thing we talked about last episode, um, because this is coming right off the heels of Evil of the Daleks. Evil of the Daleks? I'm pretty sure it's Evil of the Daleks. Um, uh, and it's going to ends on a relatively we're not there yet but it's ended on a relatively kind of final note and from going forward the serial is going to be slightly more self-contained it's going to be threads every now and then um but it, they're going to be more kind of like four six or seven part movies rather than where they are right now which is the conline one series so that structure actually lasted for about four and a half seasons which is like 100 plus wow. episodes uh so that's a, that's a huge accomplishment but i can also see why they're like okay let's just stop doing that <laughs> <laughs> But I'm with you. I do love the vibes of, I'll give you 20 bucks if you put this in your mouth going on here. <laughs> Did you have anything you want to discuss about this opening bit? Because it, it is um, setting the stage. We're introducing the characters. Oh, um, there's one thing is um, the one thing I did like that I think is a little maybe underappreciated is how this episode also acts as a kind of a quiet very soft reboot of Doctor Who um, because through the lens of explaining things to Victoria, Troughton is allowed to actually recap the entire premise of the series in case someone's coming in at this moment. Um, and, and this is the point where the show starts to realize that when you have a big change like a new companion coming on, it's an opportunity to kind of resell the show to people who might be coming on board at this point. Um, so it, it's, it's not subtle. <laughs> it's just pretty blatant because they're spending a lot of time explaining things to Victoria, but it really is kind of meant for the audience to recognize, oh, 
here's what this show is all about. And for people that are not quite as familiar with Doctor Who as we are, when Hartnell renewed into Troughton, the companions were Ben and Polly at the time. And so Troughton had an adventure with them where he meets Jamie and Ben and Polly then leave. And that's why we have Jamie and the doctor together who then have an adventure where they meet Victoria. And that is where we've walked into where we are now. Right. And also um, something I think gets lost in the midst of time because of the way we analyze these things. Um, Patrick Troughton started in the middle of season six three we we're so used to a doctor regeneration being kind of the lead of the season it's only really only one other doctor has their regeneration happen in the middle of the season and it's colin baker but um so there really hasn't been a moment to kind of do the kind of top let's recap the series thing so this is another opportunity to kind of why it's like okay we actually have a breather moment here let's take that to actually resell the show just wanted to like make sure that we had that established baseline for everyone else that may not have known yep. that little tidbit about them. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. So they've opened the door to the very creepy city of the Cybermen. And you get both all the expeditioners run inside. Yep. You have Jamie and the doctor grab hands and start to walk in and realize they've grabbed each other's hands and they drop their hands. And they go back and they take Victoria's hand to walk her inside. Mm -hmm. uh, a funny bit of history is that both Troughton and Hines debated, decided to do this scene without telling the director yep. about it beforehand. And since they were really only doing one take, the director couldn't cut it out. And that's kind of what they wanted to get in. And they have a lot of little bits that they do like that because they became very close friends. Mm -hmm. yep. And once inside the city, they do the smartest thing that any adventuring party does. They split up to explore <laughs> the creepy tomb of the Cybermen. And they have they each encounter different obstacles, but for Jamie and one of the expeditioners, he is accidentally the expedition accidentally killed by a cyber weapon testing device. Mm -hmm. They regroup the expedition leader, Professor Perry, taking a beat to see. Do you know my James Bond reference I'm about to make right now, oh, based on Professor me. Perry? No, I don't. I just don't know. One of the actors that auditioned to play Professor Perry was our man Q. From James Bond. Oh, really? Uh, um, I'm blanking on his name. Duellen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. It's cool. So they, I will say, um, uh, one of the guys playing the the very obviously not Americans here, not the pilot, but his uh, subordinate, <laughs> is Clive Marison, who has played the longest running actor to ever portray Sherlock Holmes in the radio drama. Very cool. Something I forgot to mention at the top of the show. Do you know that one of Fraser Hines? Um, acting gigs before this was with Charlie Chaplin in Charlie Chaplin's, I think, last movie. Really? Oh, that's also cool. God, so many random movie. tidbits that we're getting. Yeah. So you get less synopsis, you just get, hey, trivia bit. Did you know this? Did you know this? So, as you can tell, Eddie and I have actively not talked about Doctor Who together, so we could do this <laughs> on recording air for all of you. Yes. Um, expedition leader Perry, who is almost Q, Decides that the expedition should return to Earth and be better prepared next time. And so he calls in the very American, not at all faked accent captain to let him know. But <laughs> Love this guy. Kaft, Kaftan secretly orders her enslaved person, Toberman, to go sabotage the rocket so they can't get off the planet and they have to explore further. Yeah. And, and worse, and we, we we're saying this, but I mean, this is in subtext, right? Like I was watching this and I was like, 
please tell me this is this bad. And at one point she goes, this is my servant Toberman. Like it's explicit. It, it, it's not even subtext. It's just text. Later on, the doctor is going to ask Toberman if he wants to be someone's slave. So, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to discuss? I broke, it broke some of it down to very teeny bits. No, I, 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 I just reiterate the, the American characters are, are fantastic and absolutely exactly what Americans sound like. I utterly concur, Eddie. Um, <laughs> you guys. The <laughs> Vic. Uh, the doctor helps him to open the way down to the tombs of the Cybermen, whereupon Kaftan and Ladition Clegg awaken the Cybermen from their cryogenetic sleep and reveal to the rest of the crew that they intend to use the Cyberman's strength for conquest. Yes. So one thing I do want to point out, uh, this was aired in 1968. Dungeons and Dragons came out in 1973. And yet this is the most D and D doctor who adventure I think ever. <laughs> I mean, you can almost draw the dungeon map from watching this episode. Here's the trap. Here's the monster. Here's the thing you shouldn't push. That the players are never really going to push. Here's the overpowered uh, enemy encounter you're going to run into. <laughs> it's just it's, it's it's amazingly how well it feels like an old school D and D adventure, and yet it predates it by five years. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, so that quick little synopsis actually encapsulate a lot of show. So I want to take a minute yeah. and we kind of break some of that down. the The party continues. They continue to split up the group as they're exploring throughout the tomb itself. One of the things that you notice throughout the episode, though, is that Clegg is trying to figure out how to operate everything. And you have the doctor walking along kind of behind him, being comical and sort of not helping and helping at the same time. Like mm -hmm. the doctor knows how dangerous all this is. He's actually advised up till now, Jamie and Victoria, if they want, they can stay in the TARDIS. Yeah. Uh, Jamie refuses to because he's loyal to the doctor and Victoria, because one of the things that happened in the early scene is they uncover the doctor's 500 year diary and Victoria realizes how old the doctor is. So she thinks he is too elderly and wants to keep tabs on him. <laughs> which he, which he hates. He's so mad about that. <laughs> and I want to, I want to take a moment to also point out that the doctor is a person that opened the tomb. The doctor is a person that opens a way for them kind of to, explains to Klieg how certain logic works so Klieg can then open the other door to go further down into where the Cybermen are. Mm -hmm. This feels very much still like the Doctor is leaning heavily on the villain roots that originated with Hartnell. Yeah, although it is phasing out, again, like he's leavening it with, with, with a little bit of humor as well. Like um, one of my favorite moments, it's such a dad joke. Is uh, Jamie's asking like, why aren't the Cybermen active? Why aren't they still around? Um, and and uh, the doctor's something along the lines of like, you know, well, Jamie, it's probably because of uh, uh, all of the the uh, the uh, metal or metal fatigue, mental fatigue. And then he looks at Jamie and says, "I'm so sorry." Like he immediately <laughs> apologizes for the joke. Um, but and you get just Jamie groans. I know. I, I think know. a moment. The the Scotsman from like 1600 groaned <laughs> that joke. Ugh. And it's it's oh it's so good. Um. So yes, he's doing he's 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 not the villain so much. He, he Patrick Troughton has kind of morphed it into a trickster now, right? He's more 
I know I hate to bring this here up, but more Loki than anything else at this point, where it's the, I, I'm poking at things and I want to turn it out, but it's not out of malice, but because it needs to be kicked over. Um, you mentioned, we're not there yet, but he mentioned the, the Toberman thing where he's trying to convince Toberman to, to throw off his shackles. Um, it's because the doctor's like, I'm, I'm kicking over this anthill because it kind of needs to be kicked over. Uh, and so the anarchist doctor also has kind of its seats in general with Troughton, but I think particularly with around this serial where it's the, I need to do this not because it, it's, it's wrong, but it needs fucking with. Very good. And as a bad idea as this would be, it turns out to be irrelevant anyway, as the tomb is just a giant logic puzzle designed to weed out everyone but the smartest people, whom the Cybermen judge worthy of being upgraded. The Cybermen punch their way out of the refrigerated tombs, and the big-brained cyber controller says they will be converted into Cybermen themselves. They soon end up attacking the party while accompanied by little slug-like cyborgs known as Cybermats. Uh, I, I forget. I think it's around this point. Um, one of my favorite... So, the, for me, there are two kinds of cliffhangers. I like cliffhangers that are genuinely surprising and go in a very surprising direction, and cliffhangers that are so clearly there just because they need a cliffhanger at this moment. Um, and this is one of my favorite versions of the latter one, where a Cyberman pops out and it's like, oh my god, and the gun goes off. And then next episode, it's like, oh, it's just a dummy. It was, it was, it was a practice. It was a firing range. I'm like, there was no need for this cliffhanger. It was, it was completely, we're at 25 minutes, a thing needs to happen. It's so dumb, and I love it because it just, Cyberman just pops out of all. It's like, Ping! why would Cybermen have fake Cybermen set up so they could test their weapons on Cybermen? <laughs> it just makes no sense. To ensure their armor is strong enough to resist the highest caliber weaponry. <laughs> but it doesn't like you don't need to have a full Cyberman on a pivot pop out at random. <laughs> that, that, that was like, like the, the having a Cyberman armor to test against that makes sense. But it's the surprise Cyberman. <laughs> what what is that testing? Just the, you seem to still have some fecal functions after that surprise. We have to be continue to be upgraded. <sighs> Oh, all right. So if you want to go back a little bit, then one of the things that we that we kind of gl- rushed past were some of the obstacles they faced. And the one that you're specifically talking about is where Jamie and archaeologist A, we'll call them, are in the weapons testing chamber. And there is sort of a hip. Why does it have a hypnotic pattern? If you want to ask real <laughs> questions, if it's a yeah. testing range, that makes no sense. <laughs> That's not one's good point. And you see that it is so strong that sort of captures Jamie's attention, but archaeologist A blocks their vision so they can turn it off. Mm-hmm. And then they decide, let's continue to press buttons and see what happens. And Jamie, a Scotsman from 1600-ish, I want to like reinforce Jamie's time <laughs> period. He's been on like an adventure or so with the Doctor. He explained bits of how the TARDIS works to Victoria at the start of the episode. Yes. And now he's using Cyberman controllers to make a weapon shoot and kill archaeologist A. Yes. Like mm. Jamie is Jamie's smart. He's he's a very smart character. But also the writers didn't know what to do with them and so they just gave him stuff. We, we we're talking about the Cybermat. What do you think of the Cybermats? Like, I don't know. Um 
I want to say they're dumb, but uh, after I just spent earlier on talking about how they're rubbish, I can't turn back. The Cybermen were a central part of Revenge of the Cybermen, which was one of my, I don't say a favorite Tom Baker eras, but one I remember fondly. Um, and Cybermen were key to that. And so I, I look at this as like, I know how scary they can be, but this is one of the places where how we're watching TV now changes things because like on a black and white TV screen with a you know fuzzier image, it probably would have been genuinely scary. But now like you can see the actors literally shoving them around, trying to make them look scary. And it's like, they're just, they're just mop handles. It's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to look past that. Two points out. This episode was meant to give the Cybermen more backstory and history than what the 10th planet was. So people can get yes. more in-depth opinion of this, what they want to Even though it accidentally invalidates a large chunk of the 10th, the 10th planet, but whatever. And secondly, they wanted something that was, I didn't think I was going to say this with Doctor Who, toyetic. So you yeah. have yeah. the Cybermats were toys that kids could go to the store and buy. And I would assume in the late 60s, that would be uh, top of the pops, what every kid in the UK would want. You know what? Actually, that's a that's a good point. We kind of skipped over. Part of the reason why Cybermen exist is because the BBC realized that they can make monsters marketable. And to be blunt, they were kind of tired of paying Terry Nation a chunk of that, so they wanted to make a new monster that wasn't the Daleks that the BBC would have a full share of. Um, so yeah, the fact that there's a toyetic monster absolutely makes sense. Yeah, because one of the points was the. I don't remember what the name of that Dalek episode was, but that was supposed to be the last time the Daleks appeared on Doctor Who. And the Cybermen were uh, created, Daleks, in a sense, yeah. to totally replace them with a new antagonist. So Yeah, because the Daleks don't, don't show, up show back to like the middle of... They don't, they don't show up to the middle of Pertwee's run, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. It, it obviously did not work because they came back. They're, right. they're too well linked to Doctor Who not to be a part of it. And the well, dialects by I, themselves don't work. I take it back. I, I think it's 50% BBC. I also think Terry Nation also was trying to sell the Daleks to the U.S. around this time because he was trying to spin them off into their own thing. Which So the reverse is true. Uh, Terry Nation realized that Daleks don't really work well outside Doctor Who, and the BBC realized the same thing. So I think it's the reason why they keep being linked, but due to the way the IP laws work here, the, they're still part of the Terry Nation estate. And one of the other things that if you, if anyone ever goes back and listen to our Blake seven episode, the Daleks were actually supposed to be the invading force coming at the end. So in one of the, in the season finale of that Blake seven that we talk about, mm-hmm. it was supposed yeah. to be the, they encountered the Daleks and that would have yeah. utterly Terranation. devastated the Blake seven universe. Cause Terranation was the script editor on Blake seven. I can't, I can't remember that. He was involved with, that. I know he's involved with, that. I just remember what his role was. And there have been other attempts at having the Daleks go off by themselves and you get Dalek hunters later on in, in the Who universe too, but Absalom Doc. <laughs> it is so sad that you know that just by me saying that. Um yes. he has a chain sword, Chris. He has a chain sword. <laughs> this is where we also have the great Victoria moment of her uh, shooting a, a cyber mat. She just whips out a gun and blows it away. Boom. Yeah. Victoria yeah. being awesome. Yeah. Um, Remember and that we scene? Also, Cause we also have Victoria again. trying to get information out of somebody, um, which is also I mean, like Victoria is actually pretty useful for like two episodes of this. And it just never happens again for her entire run, which is really sad. But like at the moment you can see the potential of the companion early on. And so 
I guess a spoiler if you don't know this, but Victoria will not be a mainstay on the TARDIS crew. She will be replaced by a, a character that I like that I think also got a bad ending is Zoe. Yeah. Yeah, Zoe also got a raw deal. Although she was she was treated better contemporarily than Victoria was. Yeah. All right. Any last points on this before we keep rolling on? Uh, but just something I just now realized. Um, uh, something we, we kind of also glossed over is with Jamie and Victoria, this is the first time ever a TARDIS crew had not had someone from modern day at that time, England. And someone Victorian era and someone from 1600 Scotland. And that's actually a trend that will continue until for the rest of Troughton's run. Troughton will never have another contemporary uh, companion. That's right. Thank you. That was a point I wanted to bring up because one of the things they decided to do with Troughton era also was to do away with all the purely historical Doctor Who episodes because mm-hmm. there there's money and fans in that sci-fi and that's what they wanted because Polly and Ben, I want to say both from like the 1960s, if I remember right. Yeah, that, yeah, they, they, but they were inherited from um, uh, Hartnell. Hartnell's run, um, and once and they and they could shuffle off like I think the very first story. I think, I think right after Patrick Chowton's first story, they could shuffle off, um, yeah. and they get they get they, they shuffle off during the Highlanders. So after that, Patrick, Patrick never gets any. The second Doctor never intentionally brings on a quote unquote modern day uh, British companion. Now that now we're on this point, what do you think of that idea of not bringing on modern day companions? I'm conflicted, right? Like, um, clearly, Russell T. Davies and really a huge chunk of modern Doctor Who feels like he needs to have a modern companion to kind of ground the series. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, but I do feel like the more you move away from modern society, the more that character has to stand up on its own. Um, and we see both a good and a bad case right here. Uh, Jamie is not a modern day character, but he's such a fun character and he's such a great character that with his, there's a running gag that Jamie understands things that we as the audience understand, but it works really well because Fraser Hines knows exactly how to pitch those. And so it never comes across as mean spirited. And so we don't think of Jamie as stupid. We think of Jamie just as ignorant. And so those jokes come across as funny and not mean spirited. Uh, Victoria, on the other hand, her only vector is Victorian woman. And it, it, there's just nothing else going for her. And so that, that's the limit case for if she were a contemporary companion, she could just coast on audience recognition, but she doesn't even have that. So you need to have a, a stronger hook, I think. Um, but especially when Doctor Who is in a stage of it needing to kind of reinvent itself, you do need to kind of have that as an as a, as a anchor. I don't think we've ever had a moment in modern day Doctor Who where there hasn't been at least one contemporary companion. So I don't know what that would look like in the modern day. But in classic Doctor Who, we actually have large chunks of it where there's not a modern companion. Cool. Toberman is captured and partially cyber modified, but the party manages to escape the tomb and the staff and stall off the still weakened Cybermen. The doctor also uses electricity to disable the cyber mats, and later the group finds a single cyber prototype weapon to keep the Cybermen at bay. At the same time, the cyber controller orders his Cybermen to return to their cryogenic tombs as they are very low in energy. While Kaftan and Klieg attempt to portray the doctor and friends by stealing their weapon, 
and using it to seize control over the Cybermen, causing a very uneasy and very temporary alliance between the Doctor and the Controller to ensure their mutual survival. Eddie, I myself have, have never really held uh, a cyber energy weapon, but if I did, <laughs> at no point in my life would I think just by having that singular cyber gun would I be invincible. Nor would I think that here's an entire race who, considering these are archaeologists who have studied them, is are known to have control over, I don't know, computers or anything with the prefix cyber on it. Um, and to point their own weapon at them and go, this will work, particularly because several episodes ago, there was an entire range of weapons being used <laughs> against Cybermen to show how effective cyber armor was against them. There was a whole thing about that. So, but I want to point into, out again, this is a classic episode. <laughs> well, we run into an interesting 60s moment because Cleeg uh, uh, is kind of at the center of this, and, and he's been repeatedly referred to as a logician. And the, there's a, a, a point in the 60s where logical equaled smart. And so logical characters are presented as better than other characters. Now we're in the late 60s, and that is starting to be undermined and challenged. Um, so we have this interesting moment of, of Klieg being presented and is claiming that all of his actions are perfectly logical. Um, but they're, they're failing for him. And so I think the intent was to show that um, logic is not the be-all, end-all of, of sci-fi heroes, and, and really the Doctor also himself does not act in logical ways. And so it's kind of meant to undermine this 60s trope, um, and Zoe becomes another example of, of that for both good and bad reasons. Uh, but the problem is that in, in, the, in the attempt to undermine this, they seem to have forgotten what the word logical means. Um, and so it's the, this is logical. And it's like, how break down your steps? Because I don't, I, I, all I'm seeing, it reminds me of, of that, that trope of like step one, erase tomb, step two, question marks, step three, profit. You know, it's like where there's some steps in your chain, your logic diagram that are missing here, buddy. And it was, so Tomb of the Cybermen is a great four-episode serial. Sans, racism, and the other problems that we've already stated. It is not too long and it is not too short. Unlike, for instance, the the one we watched, watched last time, that was three episodes too long. I don't need yeah. to see people in an underground cavern for like an episode and a half figure out how to get through it. I, I just don't. Right. Yeah. And part of that is I'm bringing that up specifically because we almost hit that weird fluff area where they encounter like the cybermats in that room and some other things. Mm -hmm. But this quick turn for, for Klieg to show his maniacal roots at the behest of Kaftan is too much. I would have liked an extra three minutes of breathing room for them to have done something. Not that this gun makes me invincible. I should go forward now. Right. You bring up a good point, though, is, um, and we haven't talked about it yet, um, uh, this is when the BBC discover editing. Let's be blunt, right? Uh, um, uh, we're not shooting this like a glorified stage play. We're shooting this like television now. Uh, and I think what you're running into is that they're still trying to figure out how editing actually works from a storytelling perspective. Um, so so I, I th this feels like there wasn't quite enough for five episodes 
And so they cut down and they cut maybe in some in, in the wrong parts. But you're it right does in have, terms of just watching it, it's it's very pacey. It does have one of my favorite beats though between uh, the Doctor and Klieg, where they, they've captured them, they're holding a gun at them, and the Doctor goes, "Klieg, maybe you're right. You're right. You could do that. You could be all this." And he bleeds into him, and Klieg keeps going and going, and the Doctor just suddenly clicks a switch and goes, "I thought so, but I just wanted to prove it. You're mad." And like, boom. yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. And and even Jamie's like, hey, doctor, are you sure that's right? And, and doctor just keeps going on. You're right. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of the things I love about Troughton specifically is um, his doctor turns on a dime. And it's fantastic every time it happens because, again, something I think we lose as modern audiences is that the doctor was extremely untrustworthy initially, but he was particularly untrustworthy when he renewed. Uh, he was very villainous in his first story, which again, we can't see large chunks of, so we're missing some of the nuance here. But the idea that Doctor could always go back to that was always kind of lingering in the background uh, of, of the show. Um, and so at this moment when he's doing this, you're, you're, you're at 85% sure Doctor's not playing along, but you're not 100% sure. And so Jamie going, is the Doctor going to turn on us here? And then he doesn't. Um, but the thing is, the way Troughton plays it, he plays it like the doctor is completely buying in before he just goes, yeah, no, you're crazy, um, is 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 so wonderful because Troughton's able to hold that emotional through line. Even though this is a show called Doctor Who, we know Troughton's the lead. We know he's not going to to decide with the bad guys. But for like a half second, you watch it go, maybe he will. And it's, it's just all down to his acting. And I'm trying to think of other doctors I think that could pull that off. And I'm only coming up with Baker. Maybe McCoy and maybe Tennant. Um, McCoy definitely did that, particularly uh, uh, season 25-26. Um, really I'm stressing more of the – McCoy was more manipulative and devious when he did it. Not I'm speaking more of sort of that comical going along bit that's associated with it before the change. Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, Tom Baker could do it um, and definitely Tennant because t- – I mean, you know, day one, the no second chances speech is very much him going, look at I'm clawing around. I'm having a sword fight. I'm going to murder this guy. And he does it on a <laughs> moment. Um, and I, again, you can see that kind of, again, that trout and inspiration there of that kind of on a switch immediately. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm honestly, I think it's the, that's the last uh, modern day one that I think pulls that specific trick off. Anything else before we move on to the last leg of this? Let's finish it up. Cyber it. journey. Cyber journey. Caftan and Cleek end up being massacred <laughs> by a lone Cyberman. And with the mutual threat gone, shocking, the Cyber Controller turns against the Doctor's group. But Toberman's willpower allows him to temporarily overcome his Cyber Conditioning and destroy the one Cyberman, giving everyone the chance to escape. Finally, after the Doctor's rousing speech, Toberman sacrifices himself to save all the white people by closing the entrance to the tomb and activating the door's defense mechanisms, which electrocutes both him and the cyber controller, leaving the remaining cybermen locked inside forever, or so it would seem. The Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria fuck off into the rest of the universe, (laughs) and the expedition members make their way home. Right. On their rocket ship. On their rocket ship. Um... So, I mean, it's 
it's hard to extract from all this because you you go back to there's a strong racist thread here that that's kind of hard to completely overlook. Um, but the idea that there are constantly shifting alliances in this trapped space is classic base under siege, right? Um, from the stuff we're talking about here, is that uh, uh, there's lots of small character bits and each of their uh, moments kind of shift and change. And the doctor plays his part in this. What's interesting is if you look at this compared to, uh, let's say, Tenet's The Satan Pit, right, which is another kind of base under siege. Um, uh, Satan Pit is basically uh, the doctor comes in uh, to a literal space base, um, and then bad things go wrong, and all the characters are shifting lines. The difference is that in a modern day telling, there are, are characters behind all of these moments, right? Um, so it's the I, I'm going to betray you because I want I, I, I'm nervous and I want to be safe. Um, I'm willing to go along with the doctor because he sees me as the person I want to be. So there's always there, there's a, a interior personal character motivation for each of those shifting alliances. Here it's because of whatever role they happen to play in the party. So again, that's one of the reasons why it's so weirdly D and D ish because it's the I'm the logician, so I will do the logician things, and my, my, my change comes from the fact that I am logical, quote-unquote. Or I am the investor, and so I am the evil investor that cares about doing this thing because I have invested in it. Or, or, or you know, I am the um, strong person, and I will do the strong person things. Uh, so it's interesting to see the shifting alliances, but they're all kind of more because of their role in the story rather because anything comes out of the character, with the exception of our protagonists. So the Doctor, we, we start to actually get character beats about him from this show because it's the he cares about people, but he cannot stand not generic injustice, but specifically people who are abusing positions of power. Um, and so a lot of what he's doing here is he's willing to side with the cyber controller to go after people he sees abusing their power and authority, which is interesting. Um, and then, of course, the cyber show turns on him, but the doctor is also like, you are also a person who's abusing your power. You're also in my sights. You're a, a tool I'm using to try to overcome the, the, these positions of authority. Um, so, again, the, the, the anarchist doctor really has some strong seeds here, but he's doing it from the margins. He's doing it from the sides. This is not David Tennant. I'm going to kick down the door and confront Satan in the Satan pit. Um, <laughs> this is David Tennant. I'm going to whisper six words in somebody's ear and overthrow the prime minister. Right. Ah, oh, Harriet Jones. I will never forget that character's name. To yep. the end of time. Because she would introduce herself to her every time. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are. Yeah, that's, that is a solid recap of the doctor. And I want to touch straight again, though, is that it is known that the doctor doesn't kill, but the doctor empowers other people to kill or to kill themselves in their name. Absolutely. So which is a better route to take? <sighs> I don't have the ethical <laughs> background to make a call on that. Um, but question for the universe. Right. I, I will say that um, watching stuff like this reminds me because I remember when I, we, God, we have so much to talk about when we get to McCoy. Um, but I remember when McCoy was on, a lot of people at the fandom time were mad because like, the doctor doesn't do this stuff. 
it's nice to go back and watch stuff like this. Like, no, the doctor's always done this. Yeah. It's just that when he gets to McCoy, he's more explicit about it. But mm-hmm. the doctor has always been a balance of schemer and improv. And Troughton does both those really well. He tends to more towards the improv than scheming. It's just as a general rule. But it's clear here that he is the innocuous conversations he was having in the first three episodes set up how all the dominoes fall in episode four. So the, the doctor was pushing people into place because he was anticipating this reaction because like, you're wake up a Cyberman. I'm anticipating a Cyberman going to wake up and cause shenanigans. So let me prepare for that eventuality. Oh, look, a Cyberman woke up and shenanigans happened. Who could have predicted this? Oh, me. <laughs> and then just watches all those dominoes fall into place. But you're right. He is in the margins. He's in the background. He's in the, the, the sidelines getting all the humans into this point where they start to turn on each other. Um, because he's also, you notice, he, he's, again, something you don't really see until the first few times you rewatch it, how he taught Victoria I need you to stay here. He had Victoria stay with the woman. It's like, oh, the women can stay here. But it was specifically because he wanted her, Victoria to keep an eye on that woman because he didn't trust her. There was nothing in the show that indicated that she had any reason to not be untrustworthy. Doctor anticipated that. Jamie, I need you to go talk to this person over here so you're not here when the Cybermen get tripped off. So you're in another place ready to move when I need you to be. Um, so it's it's all how the doctor m- manipulate and coordinate his companions. But he's not using them as playing pieces. He's using them because he cares about them. I also, You'll also be safe here. You know? And again, like you said, you go back to TARDIS. I have another plan where with you being in TARDIS. At first... Because one of the scenes mm-hmm. I want to bring up is that later when the plan is in motion, he makes a comment that people can leave and go back to the ship. And Jamie turns to leave and he goes, not you, Jamie. Yes, that was great. And, and again, the, the comedic timing of that is like, you all can go, not you, Jamie. <laughs> and to see Fraser, I just start to turn and then go, oh, he goes back. It's, it's, it, it's a comedic moment, but there's also a drama underneath, which is one of the reasons why uh, I, I keep saying about Troughton is so good. I think those are our, our closing thoughts for this episode, but do you have anything else you would like to say about it? Um, we more about the show. We, 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 um, we, we keep running into these things like here's a classic thing. And then we have a whole bunch of context for why it's actually kind of awful. Um, but I mean, I feel like this is kind of the perfect quote unquote problematic fave, right? In the sense that it is problematic, we are recognizing its problematic components. Uh, um, we're not excusing the problematic components. It doesn't invalidate what's genuinely brilliant about this material. Um, so I feel like Tuma Sarbman is a classic cake study of you cannot extract or excuse the isms in this, and there are a lot of them, but you can also still see there are things you genuinely love inside of this. Mm-hmm. And as a a black person in this millennium, I have to do that on a daily constant basis Yeah, with media, with people, uh, Mm -hmm. with all sorts of things. And I will say that this is a very problematic episode, but there is so much brilliance here that set the stage for what doctor who would become. We had to Mm -hmm. watch it. We had to talk about it. And I, I feel that we've highlighted it without, switching gears into being overly negative about it. And that could be because this is something that we're both familiar with already and that we obviously love Dr. Who. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, if, yeah, 
I forgot the order no, show now. We have to do our games now. We have to do our games. If people wanted to to find you online no, or no, 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 buy some we of your sweet, our... sweet merch, see how I switch that around? No, we have to, we have to do the games first. Uh, um, we're going to do the game. Are you sure? Uh, All right. If you want to do a game... Well, you you it's, created this. You said we're gonna do a closing quote, and we're gonna do a, a companion it, thing. It's it's harder this time around. I think. Do I get to pick first this time? I do. Get yeah, you pick do. First you, yeah, it's your, it's your post, so you get to pick first. So, Chris, uh, if you had to pick one of the two companions to this episode, who would you pick? Hmm, Chris. I think <laughs> Gee, I, I would pick uh, Jamie, 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 Jamie. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah, that's why I, I was mad. We're actually gonna run into a problem in a minute. Uh, about that because we had the exact same choices next time. So guess who I'm going to pick next time. <laughs> <laughs> I think if they're the same companions, we have to, we'll skip picking companions that one. Okay. Well, that means I go, Jamie, that sucks. I hate this game now. <laughs> That's fine. I'll take Victoria, I guess. Victoria is a crack shot at shooting Cybermats. Can I take specifically Victoria episode one and then <laughs> can I take simply just that slice of her timeline? <laughs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> All right, we've played our game. If people wanted to buy your sweet, sweet merch, where would they purchase that at? Um, honestly, the best place to buy my merch uh, would be from uh, realmsofpugmire.com. That is my creator-owned property of dogs in a distant future that think that this sci-fi universe is secretly a fantasy world. Um, so if you want to play a fantasy-inspired sci-fi game featuring dogs, that is definitely the place because I get I get a percentage of all of that. Uh, but otherwise, if you want to see my other work or me generally online, uh, Pugsteady is the best place to look for me. Uh, P U G S T E A D Y dot com. If you're looking to buy some of my stuff, the best place to go is the Dark Crew Studios website. I get more of the profit from there. And if you're looking to pick up your own copy of the second edition of Hollow Unbound, Chaosium has those on their website, which I get a smaller percentage of because another company helped me publish it but still you get some you know burn zero ah. <laughs> and if you want to talk to me on social media come to discord that's where i do most of my my memes and gifting if you see me on other social media i am just usually reposting something that is related to business yeah yeah it, it, definitely honest if you want to have a conversation with us frankly the dark discord is the best place to come eddie what can people yes. expect from us next time we do this time traveling shenanigans uh we love trotton so we're gonna stick with trotton for a bit um uh we're gonna watch uh enemy of the world uh, which is also season five um even more recently recovered i think it was recovered only like five or six years ago wow. um so this is weirdly very new to the who community um it's caused a a change in how people perceive this uh and something to think about as you're watching this um uh the prisoner aired three months before the first episode of this show um, so think about that as you're watching this. It's, it's relevant. And uh, as our closing quotes, um, I actually picked a, a two-person quote because it's Jamie and the Doctor are such a good ally. I'm really going to showcase that dynamic. Um, Jamie says, have you thought of some clever plan, Doctor? Doctor says, yes, Jamie, I believe I have. What are you going to do? I'm going to bung a rock at it. <laughs> So with that, we will see you next week as we talk about the enemy of the world.